Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you and expands your view of what's possible in your journey of wealth creation. My hope is that through a repeated exposure to the ideas and the guests you will find here, your view of finance will change for the better. With that said, there's an important caveat that must be stated. The opinions you will hear on this show are just that, opinions. Please don't misconstrue any of what you're about to hear as legitimate financial advice. Do your own research and don't take anything at face value. Understand that everything you hear on this show is someone else's experience that may or may not work for you. I don't know you. I don't know your situation, so I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you that the one goal of this podcast is to make you richer, wealthier, and ultimately more fulfilled as a human. I'm glad you're here. Please rate it, review it, share it with the people in your world that matter. And without further ado, enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, Levels of Wealth. I have Becky Nova of Lady Landlords on. And I was on, when was this? I was on your show, I think, uh, eight months ago, six months ago? Probably about six months. It was over the summer that you were on our episode. So, yes. So Gabe's was like, I have this, uh, I have this show that I think you should do, but it's all women. Are you okay with that? And I was like, Oh, yes. Let's go. <laughs> Especially women in real estate. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's like real estate's a little bit dominated by like, you know, your male investors. Like, who is this woman? Let me find like, let's I got to connect with her on Facebook. And you run this massive Facebook group. Mm -hmm. And you're teaching women how to create financial freedom through real estate. Uh, and it was amazing. And we had so much fun. And I hope that, the, that your ladies got value from it. And they weren't just like, who's this young dude talking to me about real estate? Um, no. But I had a blast. I got a ton of great feedback about your episode. Just really because you shared your story and how you even got to where you were today. Then I had uh, my favorite was I had people that knew you from other businesses and other avenues being like, oh, my God, you had Taylor on the show. And I was like, yes, I did. So that was also a really great lead in. Um, but no, it was, it was a great episode and you gave such great content and just information that we don't always necessarily talk about. And it was very different than some of my other guests. So it was nice to have your personal perspective and what you're doing with, with your business and share that with, with our community. So I, it was fantastic. I love it. Well, anytime, anytime you want to hang, I'll come back and we'll just talk and do, uh, do whatever you want. Um, real quick though, how, yeah. so Real estate, we know that it's traditionally like, you know, I would say everything in the last hundred years has been traditionally like male dominated. So you can't really even use real estate, but real estate is probably the slowest to turn over, I would imagine. How'd you get into it? What was your first deal? What made you get into it? Kind of take us through your founder's story. Sure. I am definitely one of those people that's the accidental landlord. I never had any intention of owning property. It was not something I wanted to do. Um, you might remember when we talked previously. So I actually lived in Europe for a good portion of my 20s. I was working in cancer research in the States. I did the whole, let's go to college. I was the first person in my family to go to college. First person to go to graduate school. I got a good cushy job in New York City doing cancer research. And I just absolutely hated it. It just mm. was too... Oh, I remember actually, I oddly enough, I have one behind me. But I remember I would. everybody was fighting over... Um, chair sweaters, right? The the sweaters that would be on your chair when just offices would just had the freezing air conditioning. And I was like, this cannot be what my life is about until I retire and I die. You know, like there has to be something more that we could talk about 
besides that. So I actually ended up quitting my six-figure salary um, and sold everything I owned and moved over to Spain where I used to own a tour company. And then I expanded into Portugal where I used to own a bar, which was actually, I think, the biggest financial mistake I ever made. <laughs> ended up losing everything and moved back to the States pretty much penniless. And when I got back to the States... I was trying to figure out like which direction I was going to go. And I just needed to make enough money to then go back and travel. That was incredible. All my purpose was. So I never wanted to own real estate. But when I came back to the States, I ended up meeting a guy that I'm now married to. And he is an immigrant from the Dominican Republic. And he came to New York with very much that American dream, which homeownership is such a big part of. So a couple of years ago, he kind of said, hey, Becky, you know, you're in debt. You have no money. You know, I really want to move our relationship forward, but and buy a house and have, you know, the 2.3 kids and the white picket fence and all that. So I said, okay, well, I have no money. We got to go figure something out. So I was able to take a consulting gig and to come up with a down payment and get myself out of debt and raise my credit score. And then I said, you know what? I'm not going to buy a house and then live mortgage payment to mortgage payment. So I tell everybody I came up with the best idea humanly possible. Nobody else has ever thought of this. And that was to buy a multifamily property and live in it and rent out the other side. I had no idea that like millions of people were doing the same thing at that time. So our first property was complete luck that we didn't completely lose our shirts. But I just got hooked after that first duplex. How did you find it? Just an agent or did you kind of go scouting yourself? No, we used an agent. Once again, since we were really looking at this as just clearly buying a primary home, we went the traditional route. I called some realtors. I got a referral for somebody. We went on the MLS. We were looking in a slightly different area. We were originally looking in the Bronx since I live in New York. That's where my husband and I were residing at that time. We wanted to stay in that area. We actually liked the market for that. But it then was a realtor that was able to show us some different areas and ended up finding our property off the MLS. Nice. When was the moment where you were like, so you got hooked after that first one. At what point were you like, I have to teach other people how to do this? Oh, at the closing table. <laughs> it was literally really? at the closing of that first duplex. We were at the closing. It was a horrible closing. We ended up having a bunch of problems with title. Our mortgage payment was all off. There ended up being like a $7,000 lean on our taxes that the title company missed. Oh, so my mortgage payment. Yes. So the closing was like, Taylor, you would, you would know that a closing usually does not take more than four hours. There was probably more cursing <laughs> in this four hours at a closing than like has ever happened before. And still at the end of that closing, when I got that check for the tenants that were going to be in the property that I just bought, I was like, Oh my God, I need to do this again. My mortgage broker yeah. and my realtor were like, are you insane? You just ripped this woman a new one for messing up your paperwork. And now you're saying you want to buy another house. And I was like, no, I'm like, everybody needs to know what this is like. I was like, that was just a total game changer right there at that closing table for me. Amazing. So you kind of knew instantly, you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to teach other people how to do this and how to avoid this process. Yeah. And how to already avoid the mistakes that I was, that I had made on that first property. I wanted to make sure that people knew upfront what they were getting themselves into, because for me, it was so much research and so much um, trial and error for that first property that I was just like, there has to be a better way. So to me, if I can share my experiences and what I did, and that can help just 
one other woman have a little bit of an easier journey getting her rental properties, to me, that's a success. Yeah, yeah, of course. Have you ever lost money on a property? No. No. What's the worst? What's your What's your least favorite deal that you've ever done? Was it that first one, or was there like a nightmare deal that you've kind of made it through since then? Um, I wouldn't call it necessarily a full nightmare deal, but I mean, every how every property has its own challenges and kind of has its own story. So yeah. the first property that we bought, as I mentioned, the closing was an absolute disaster. My attorney was pretty much MIA through all of the negotiations and the contract to the point where when we got to the closing, the seller's attorney actually thought I was the attorney because he was communicating with me the entire time. Then he was like, oh, wait, you're actually buying, you're actually, you're the one buying the house? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I don't think I was supposed to talk to you. And I'm like, well, too bad. My attorney went MIA. So here we go. I needed to get this deal done. So I jumped in and acted pretty much as my own attorney. Then at the closing, like I said, now the title company missed a $7,000 water bill that ended up getting put on our on our property. Also at the walkthrough, there ended up being a bunch of, there was a couple leaks that were found during the walkthrough. So then we went to the closing, told our realtor, who once again, I should have realized by that point was not in my best interest. And the sellers were just like, not a problem. We'll fix the leak tomorrow, the day after closing. She never put money in escrow. We didn't know any different. So we just, so now the day after closing, that's when I found out I have an extra $7,000 bill. I have leaks running through four floors of a, of a Oh my house. God. <laughs> so now, and now we actually had water running through and you see this meme on Facebook, but this actually happened to me. We had water leaking through an electric panel. And now my husband and I are looking at this and we've only lived in apartments our whole life. So now we're looking at this water running through an electric panel and we're like, do we call a plumber or an electrician? You know, the seller was then like, screw it. I'm not fixing that leak anymore. I already sold you the house. So we ended up having to sue our attorney. <laughs> we ended up having to threaten the title company also with a lawsuit for missing that $7,000 water bill. It was, and actually my husband at that time, I think was ready to give up. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm doing this again. I think he was a little, a little more, we just bought this house. I thought we'd move in turnkey property. And yet we had a ton of things go wrong in the first few months. So that was the first one. The second one I also think was interesting. The second deal we actually found when it's oddly enough, my realtor called me a couple months later and I'd stayed in touch with them because I already told him I'm buying another property. So when I was staying in touch with him, he said to me, he goes, Hey, I have a property. You might be interested in it, but you got to prove you can get pre-approved for it. So I'd already done my homework, figured out how to do that. And sent him my pre-approval letter. And when I was waiting for him to get back to me, my husband came home and goes, hey, I just saw a realtor coming out of the house across the street. He actually met the elderly couple across the street when he was doing the appraisal on the first duplex we bought. The elderly couple said, hey, what you doing in the neighborhood? He explained he was a realtor. They said, great, we might want to sell our property. Keep in touch. So now six months later, they decide to sell their house. They stayed in touch with my realtor. I stayed in touch with my realtor. So we ended up buying that property off market. But they were hoarders. They had tools, machinery, um, anything you could name just completely across this quadplex and a parking lot. Um, 
So that we had to negotiate to them that were valuable items. So we really had to negotiate how to get this property cleaned up to even get an appraisal. And then they ended up living there for a few months after because it took them longer as this elderly couple to be able to move. And we actually just closed the court case with them um, for some for some of the issues that we'd had with that property about a week ago, two years after that deal closed. Wow, that's a bummer. Not what you like. How do you how do you find new markets? How do you evaluate new markets? Do you have a a process that you go through? Yeah. For me, there are one thing that I really learned since I also own long distance. My husband and I also own in the Dominican Republic. For me, what's interesting about markets is I, you could look at a map and get completely overwhelmed. There's just so many different places that you can invest and there's deals absolutely everywhere. So one of the first things that I do is I think about places where I know somebody. It doesn't have to be my best friend. It doesn't have to be where my mom is, but just, hey, I know that that kid I went to college that I'm still friends with on Facebook, they live there. Maybe that's an option. So that way I know I will have some boots on the ground, especially since I like the long distance investing. Then from there, I start looking at what stable industries are going to be in that area. So that to me has been, and that to me has been really helpful. My background is in the medical field. So that's an industry I know really well. So I tend to favor areas that would fit with that industry. Gotcha. Um, When you find somebody that's boots on the grounds, do you look at, um, population growth, job growth, like what's your checklist that kind of gives you permission as an investor to go into that market? Sure. After I kind of say, okay, I know somebody there. Hey, I know what larger industries and I know what the medical field is like in that area, which makes me just feel a little bit more confident. Usually I'll either look at census data or election data. Those are the two things that I tend to go to because I feel like that gives you a little bit of area, a little bit of an idea of what's the numbers are and, and what's happening in that location. Then from that point, I also do a little bit more anecdotal research where I'll go and either find local newspapers and see what trends I can find also going through that market. Beautiful. Gotcha. How is, so you're in Dominican Republic. How is out of, um, you know, how is out of country real estate different? Are there any hurdles that you've had to navigate through that you don't have to in, in a U.S.? It, it is different because mortgages are just done differently. Um, at least once again, I could speak to the Dominican Republic, not necessarily everywhere else. But here in the Dominican Republic, interest rates are much, much higher. There's also shorter term mortgages. They don't really do kind of a 30 year. Also, the way that taxes work is different. So there were it was a completely different process. And then also doing that in addition to having a foreign language, it just really kind of complicated things. It was very nice that one, my husband is a dual citizen. So that also, I think, made our made it a little bit easier for us. And he also lived there until he was an adult, which was nice. So he knew his way around. And then also the fact that we were able to take advantage of his citizenship really made a difference for us. Nice. And clearly he's fluent in Spanish. <laughs> right. So he could translate everything. Have you, are you going to go into other like vacation markets such as the Dominican, like Turks and Caicos? Like is anything else on your radar for new markets to explore? For the Caribbean, no, I would definitely stay in the Dominican Republic. Actually, the properties we own there are long-term rentals. They're actually not short-term rentals Ah, right now. So what I, yes, 
that's a little bit different. Whenever I tell people that I own in the Dominican, they're always like, oh, can I rent it? Where, which beach is it on? And I'm like, no, it's in it's in the capital. It's in a city. Um, so those are actually long-term rentals. And But one thing that we are looking at then is increasing our footprint there and probably moving into the short-term rental market there. Because my goal is just to go live on a beach. So <laughs> I will... I started yes. my story with that's what I wanted to do was travel. So my goal is to kind of get back to is really to get back to that. I just took me a little bit longer than I wanted, but that's really what real estate's going to afford me is to be able to get back to traveling however I want. Yeah, I love it. How do you decide when to um, liquidate or collateralize property? Do you just are you planning on holding forever? Or is there a certain mathematical metric you use to know when to do that? Sure. I mean, my plan probably at least right now is to hold for the foreseeable future. Um, there might be a time, especially getting older, we'll probably move more properties to property management companies, especially since I want to be able to travel. And then at some point, what we might do is um, trade up our properties for, for larger complexes. But buying when we did a couple years ago now in the New York market, making it through the pandemic, I picked up other properties during the pandemic in April, May of 2020, which actually has worked out really well for me. I'm not really seeing much reason to, to, to sell those at this point in time or to really change anything that I'm doing. The rental market here in New York is so strong that it's, they were just such wins for us. I'm going to stick with that for the time being. Yeah. Were you concerned at all during the middle of the pandemic about what that meant for New York? Or were you kind of like, nah, we always bounce back. We'll be fine. I was like, this is New York City. Of course, we're going to bounce back. I, you yeah. know, I really did not. I don't see all of a sudden just being like, you know what? We don't need. No one's going to care about the Statue of Liberty. No one's going to care about Broadway. No one's going to care about Wall Street. Those are things that I was just like, nope. New York City is just still, you know, an epicenter. So, nope. I knew it was going to come back. And actually, it helped me a little bit because I was able to buy properties right outside of New York City, which is where a lot of people ended up moving. A lot of people said, well, now if I'm working from home, I either need an office space I need more space for my family, you know, so I could kick my kids into a different room. I need a backyard space or something that really just New York City does not necessarily provide. So it actually helped that I was able to pick up properties in those locations right before a lot of people started moving out of the city. Yeah, 100%. It's funny that um, when times are good, everybody wants to hop in. But when times are bad, people tend to let fear remove their ability to buy at discounts and to buy, which is what you did. You bought when things were lower and now you're probably really happy with that. Yeah. Oh, and everyone thought I was crazy when I bought last year. Not only did I buy during the summer of 2020, but then I also, some of the properties that I picked up actually had tenants intact. And a lot of people were like, why would you do that? Eviction moratorium. We're already buying in New York, which is known as just a tenant friendly state. And to me, it just, it was the right decision. I was able to say, hey, these tenants have been here for years. They're paying. They have essential worker jobs. They're consistent. They're afraid to have to go move and find another place to live. They were already qualified, turnkey properties. I picked them up and had to do nothing for it besides just collect my checks. I love it. Best decision. (laughs) How do you how do you feel about uh, PGs and personal guarantors when it with um, with your mortgages? Do you guys do a bunch of that, or have you worked it in the portfolio side to be non recourse? We've actually worked to be non recourse, and that's just banking relationships that you've worked out. Correct. Yes, that's something that I 
I was very fortunate, except for the except for the attorney and the title company from that first deal. I've actually bought I, all of our properties in the state in New York. All of our properties have come from the same realtor, and I've worked with the same mortgage broker the entire time. And now I I, replay, I found a new attorney that I absolutely love. He was actually the attorney that I found to help go after my old attorney and my and that title company. And he has actually become a very good friend of mine. So now he's the person that we go to for all of our deals. So I do, I do know that we always kind of talk about how real estate investing is a relationship business and it all is all networking. And I am just really blessed to have found the right group of people that I can go to and say, Hey, this is what I'm looking to do. Let's problem solve. Let's figure out how we're going to get this done. And that's actually really been able to help me grow my portfolio. Yeah. I love that. I've found that, um, for single family, a lot of times banks don't typically, they don't want to do non-recourse, but if you can wrap them into portfolio deals, it begins to get a lot easier. Um, I think we're probably a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer away from banks recognizing short-term rental portfolios as like mm -hmm. NOI-based valuations rather than single family appraisal-based valuations. So I think you're coming into the short-term rental game at a good time. Yes. And I actually, personally, I like the international short-term rental market a little bit better than the local. I feel like a lot of people have been kind of cooped up. I feel like a lot of people have spent the past year or two taking those staycations a couple hours from their homes, going to the cabins yeah. in the wood, going to those types of locations like here in the States. And I really do feel like a lot of people are going to be looking to be able to get on a plane and get out of the country and travel again um, yeah. after a couple of years. So I'm really hoping that that we'll be able to move forward with, with that purchase next. Amazing. Let me know if I can help you in any way. We're down. Just let me have a week at the beach once a year and we're, we'll call it good. <laughs> Works for me. What, uh, what questions did I not ask you that you're like, yo, you should have asked me this question. I was surprised you didn't ask me more about when I lost everything when I lived in Spain and Portugal. Tell, tell me about it. We'll fix it. Sure. Tell me about when you lost everything <laughs> when you lived in Spain and Portugal. Sure. So when I originally moved over to Spain, I'd started a tour company there and I was very fortunate to be able to expand into Portugal. When I expanded into Portugal, I bought a bar over there. I then bought a bus and I had people going from Spain from my tour company over to Portugal to my bar and vice versa. But the guy that I bought the bar from, he actually sold it to me because he was going in a partnership with somebody else. The reason he was the problem, then what happened was after a couple months, he came back and had an issue with the fact that now I had this bar. So I didn't understand what was going on. He came into the bar one morning and was incredibly aggressive and just yelling and screaming that it was like his, since he became aggressive, I just ran out of there and was like, we got to deal with something else. Like, I just can't understand what's going on with this man. Come to find out police ended up getting called. He's explaining to the police in Portuguese that this is actually his bar. I'm saying, no, we signed paperwork. I have a contract. This is actually my bar. So we went down to the attorney. Now picture like beach town, you have one attorney, um, one bank, you know, three cops sitting in an office, like that's pretty much it. So we go down to the attorney's office and when the attorney pulls out the contract to show the police, it only shows that I signed the contract and that he never did. And I was like, no, 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 I have my fully executed copy here. Attorney goes, nope, I have my copy. He never signed it. Please go. Great. It's his bar. Becky, you got to get everything out of there. So I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I get everything out. His people start like threatening my staff to like get out of Portugal. 
So everybody else leaves. I was going to leave, but I was like, no, like I came here because I love it. I want to be on the beach. I'm going to see if I can make this work. Come to find out about two weeks later that he actually was using the new bar that he bought to run drugs through it. His partner Mm. found out. So he ended up kicking his partner out of, he ended up getting kicked out of the bar that he had bought with the partner but he needed a place to still be able to launder money. So he came back and stole my bar from me and he actually paid off the attorney to say that he never signed the contract. Wow. So I ended up staying in Portugal for about another two months after that. I took a job cooking in a kitchen where I got paid three euros an hour and all the pasta I could eat. (laughs) And I just partied for the rest of summer. And then I moved home um, that fall. And I was now like in my thirties, like living at my parents' basement being like, all right, what's next now? What business are we going to start or where are we going to go? And I, people always kind of say like, but that's so horrible. You end up losing this bar. Like, don't you think you should have like fought, should have stayed? Doesn't that make you so sad? And honestly, it's probably one of the places that I feel like I've just learned so much in my life. I feel like I was able to take risks. I was able to jump in and find it didn't work out, but I still would never change that experience for anything. Did you have any mindset issues after that? Or was it just you'd bounce back? No big deal. No, actually I didn't. I've always kind of been a risk taker. Um, That's actually something I feel like as I've gotten older has kind of calmed down a little bit. And my husband is really the non-risk taker in the relationship. So once again, I was the person that was like, listen, I'm unhappy with this nine to five corporate America that I got to deal with in New York City. So I just quit my job and I left. And then I figured, okay, now I'm in Spain. I have no idea what to do here. Well, my English is pretty good and I know history. Let's start a tour company. So I did feel when I got back that I was still able to say, okay, what's next? And I was able to move on. I really don't feel like I struggled too much with getting stuck or feeling like since I lost that, that now I wasn't going to be able to be successful somewhere else. I felt it actually gave me, it actually gave me proof of concept. I was able to say, Hey, listen, if I could figure out how to start a business in Spain and run a bar in Portugal, I'm pretty sure I can do it here in America. That's pretty special. That's not normal. You probably already know that, but if you don't, <laughs> I'll just tell you, it's not very normal. I, I've heard that before, um, but it's just, it's the way that I work. To me, it was, that's a learning experience. Let's now put that in our bucket. And now I still feel like things I learned about that first website that I ever started back in 2008. I still learned concepts that I can use there about running a business that I still actually employ today. Yeah. What are you working on next? What's the next big thing for you? Or what are you excited about? Sure. To me, definitely getting my next property is is kind of a focus point. I also, so I'm probably, once again, I'm debating on if I'm going to purchase another property here in New York or if I'm going to purchase that short-term rental in the Dominican Republic. Also, I'm looking to diversify this year a little bit. I've really stayed in the small multifamily space for a long time. I do want to look more into syndications, um, land deals, some other opportunities that aren't just me buying, (laughs) buying a building and then managing that building. So I do think that's kind of the next step for me. Uh, My time's getting a little tapped out because I do manage all of our properties, even if they are long distance. So I need to get a little, I want to start looking into some other places where I can park some money and then really just building lady landlords and helping more women be able to get their first rental property and reach financial freedom is, is still such a passion of mine. So that's, that's really what I'm going to be focusing on in 2022. 
Amazing. If you want to build anything else, give me the opportunity to invest in it. If you ever build anything else and you want an investor, let me know. Yeah. No, we need to have a talk offline about some things. So, because I, I think we could really do a lot. You don't want to broker a deal in front of millions of people on the air? <laughs> no. I understand. We could, we could totally do that. <laughs> I don't know. I understand. I understand. Well, cool. Let's talk. Let's set, let's figure something out. And then, um, yeah. when you're in Nashville, cause I know you're going down to Florida to be here on the beach. Uh, let's get some people yep. in a room and let's teach some of what you know. Yeah. That's one of the things that when I said that I was going to go down to Florida and as we talked about earlier, I was like, that's it. I went out of the snow. Um, so I'm heading down there on a one way ticket. I, once I posted that, like I was going to Florida, I have so many other investors and people in my community that are saying, let's, I want to see you, let's meet. So I'm already setting up an event down in Florida. Um, but no, I would love to stop on the way back in Nashville and, and host something with you. That'd be great. Cool. All right. We'll set it up. Thanks so much for, uh, the time today. And I'm excited to see what you do next. It sounds like you're about to take over the world. I'm excited to watch it. That's the goal. All righty. See ya. Bye.